Welcome to episode 201 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us, listener. Today we have a Norway special. We're going to be travelling from the south to the north of the country and I have some special guests who are joining me today to help me with that. My name is Ian Martin and I'm delighted to welcome back onto the show regular guest Lucy Aspen, ski editor at The Telegraph. Hi Lucy, how are you? Hi Ian, yeah I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. I think it's twice in the winter. Uh, Whereabouts are you today, Lucy? Uh, so today I'm at home in Preston. Nearer the snow than I am, assuming there's still some in Scotland. And also joining us for the first time on the show today, uh, down the line direct from Norway, we have Rich Astley. Hi, Rich. How are you? Good morning, Ian. Yes, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Tell me, Rich, where are you today? <laughs> so um, I'm currently at a, at a cabin in a place called Fjellsetra, which is in the Sunmore Alps, which is about a third of the way up Norway. So a sort of an alpine region where it kind of meets the the fjords, uh, so it's sort of a coastal mountain area. Excellent. Well, I look forward to finding out more about that. I can see in the background there kind of looks very attractive, a bit of a you know forest uh, behind you. But we'll discover all about that area. Uh, a question I like to ask all of my guests to start off with is where, uh, when did you ski or snowboard last? Lucy, when uh, was that for you? So my last time was actually out in Norway uh, about two weeks ago now. And I was in a lovely um, unheard of resort mainly called Gausta. Excellent. Well, that is a reason that I've got you on the show today for our Norway uh, special. And Rich, I'm, I'm assuming that you've been skiing recently if you're out there, are you? Yeah, we're actually out here for half term with the kids. So we've been uh, we've been skiing all week. Yesterday, we were at uh, another mountain actually called Stranda, which is uh, about a 15 minute drive away from here. And yeah, we uh, we were skiing around the valley there. Very, very quiet. It's not Norwegian half term. So we had the mountains to ourselves, which is absolutely fantastic. Excellent. OK, well, we'll come on to that. You mentioned half term is half term at the moment. Uh, in the UK for most people and uh, over in the Alps for a lot of uh, French people and other people from around Europe as well. And so I've asked uh, a couple of friends of mine who are actually on holiday out in the Alps this week rather than our our regular contributors to send us uh, a few snow reports. So I've got some snow reports here. Ian Williams out in Les Martha Wells reporting from Big White in Canada and regular contributor Simon Burgess who sent his report in from Flynn. Hi Ian, this is Ian reporting in from Les Arc 2000 where we've had an amazing week. Started off with some fresh snow, everyone loved it, about five centimetres which created a perfect dusting on top of a very hard base but the Peace Bashers and the Peace Team Ski Patrol have been amazing and the pieces are in excellent condition. The hard base underneath does come through in the late afternoon and obviously if you get a bit lower down into 1600 or Valandry, it's a little bit slushy towards the afternoon now. But up in 2000, snow conditions are still very good and lots of it too. There is talk of uh, cloud coming in for the next few days and possibly even a little bit more snow over the weekend. But anyone making their way out here to Les Arcs is well worth doing the Aguil Rouge run from the top of the cable car, a seven kilometre run all the way down to Villa Roger. A spectacular run, something the Alps does very, very well. But if you're making your way out to Les Arcs area, you'll have a fantastic time. Just mind the crowds in the valley. See you soon. Happy skiing, everyone. Hi, Ian. Martha here, reporting from Big White, letting the ski podcast know the conditions here in British Columbia. The locals are saying it's a really bad year, but the snow base is 184 centimetres. 
So it's all relative. They had 10 centimetres of new snow just before we arrived. And since arriving, we've had another 17 centimetres. We've had one whiteout day, but that was worth it for the fresh champagne powder we got to experience the following day. Otherwise, it's been alternating blue skies, sometimes cloudy, some flurries, and lower visibility depending on how high you go. All the lifts are open, the runs are all open, and the skiing is fabulous. So to summarise, excellent conditions here at Big White. Wishing everybody happy skiing. Hi Ian, Simon here. Currently in the Grand Massive ski area where I think it's fair to say snow is variable. Here is my snow report and apologies in advance for butchering the names of all of the resorts. Up high in Flane, the conditions are great and the sun is shining. Throughout Flane, the piece have good coverage and if you are savvy with where you ski, you can also avoid the bottlenecks caused by the half-term crowds. Elsewhere, across the four villages, the fresh snow and powder days I experienced in January seem a distant memory. Sitting on the core blanche chair today, I looked across to an off-piste area where I had deep powder turns just a few weeks ago. Today, it is grass and rock. Lake Harrow is best explored in the morning, as in the afternoon, the lack of fresh snow and holiday crowds are turning the piece into a spring-like slush. Would be lovely if it was April, but this is February. Marion has no skiing below 1,100 metres with good coverage above, but that has been the same all season. Similarly, in Samoan, there is no skiing down to the new Verklan gondola. However, elsewhere in Samoan has the best conditions across the villages. This is mostly due to the shade that covers the resort, with the pistes well worth a blast even in the afternoon. Overall, there is still plenty of skiing to be had and reason to be positive with snow expected next week. I have everything crossed that the Grand Massive can receive plenty of snow before my return in March. Fingers crossed. So thanks to Ian, Martha and Simon for those snow reports. If you're heading to the snow listener, don't forget you can save money when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code ski podcast. Uh, you get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. You can just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. I will be completely upfront in case you hadn't worked it out yet. If you do book with Intersport, you'll be helping the ski podcast. And I'd like to thank everyone who's used that code already this season. Uh, I should add that when I was in Chamonix earlier this month, uh, my wife decided the time had come to buy her own ski boots. Uh, she had them fitted at the Michelle Cross Intersport shop in the centre of town. I have to say they were excellent there. She loves her boots. And if you'd like to know more about their process and how that went, I'll put a link into the show notes. Moving on to news. Team GB update. Unfortunately, the slalom race in Bansko was cancelled last weekend, so there's not much to report there. But kudos to Andrew Musgrave, who finished seventh in the 20-kilometre cross-country in Canmore. And if you listen to my interview in episode 200 with Zach Carrick-Smith, who is double gold medalist at the Youth Olympic Games, you'll be interested to hear that his twin brother took gold in the under-18 slalom in the European Championships. These guys are seriously talented, so look out for them and have a listen to that interview in episode 200. Now, there has been a bit of news which isn't so positive in the uh, in the last week or so, and that is a couple of uh, ski companies that many listeners will know will not be continuing, and they are um, Esprit Ski and Powder White. Now, in the case of Esprit, they're part of Hotel Plan Group, which also owns Ingham's, and they've decided to close down the brand at the end of this season. Powder White just announced, I'm pretty sure, that they're just going out of business. Lucy, I wondered if you had a thought on this. 
Well, I think the news from Esprit came as quite a sad news, really, when we got the press release through at the end of last week, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's it's over 40 years that that company's been running. And I think the thing for me that it really highlighted was the changing landscape for families who want to go on ski holidays and whether there are as many specialists who can cater for the very specific needs that families, in particular young families, um, have when they go out to the mountains mountains um, that's something that we're looking into and um, we've got a story actually going live next week about it I think it's quite sad because I don't think there are as many of those specialists out there and all of us in the industry are, are my life goal is to get as many people out onto the slopes as possible so I hope it's not a sign of things to come for that family sector and I hope that families do continue to get that specific service that they need and as for powder white again it's a shame I thought we were kind of past that era but it just shows that things are quite uncertain out in the mountains uh, and things are forever changing for sure. You talked about the kind of sentiment with Esprit Ski. I, I did a post on the Skipedia. It was really interesting to see how many former staff chipped in there and said, oh, we had these fantastic memories there. That's how we first got into the uh, industry. But the yeah. points you're making there about childcare, I think that, you know, it is a fact that post Brexit, to mention the B word, it's now more difficult to employ staff. And the detailed type of staff that you needed to take on board to do childcare, whether it's in a creche or, or the kind of next level up, the kids club type of thing, has just become more difficult. And I'm aware of other tour operators who you know, used to offer a creche service and now don't do that anymore. So if that means that uh, fewer people are coming into skiing, it's definitely uh, not a good thing. You know, hopefully they will just be uh, outliers. And we can see a progression uh, across the board. Moving on, I also um, just wanted to remind uh, uh, listeners, episode 200, the focus was on Chamonix. Regular listeners probably guessed I travelled by train. I, I realised I didn't mention this in that episode. You might be aware I've taken the flight-free UK pledge not to take any flights in 2024. So if you'd like to find out more about my train journey to Chamonix, I'll put a link to my blog on Ski Flight Free and my video on the uh, Skipedia YouTube channel, and you can find out more about it. Now, this episode is a Norway special. And while you can feasibly travel there without flying, it will actually be easier from 2026 onwards when they bring back the ferry from the UK over to uh, Norway. That's how my father took his first ever ski trip, which was to Norway back in the 1960s, took a ferry over from Newcastle. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to be there for a while. But Ski Podcast, we cover all destinations. And I was quite surprised to realise we've had so little coverage about Norway in our 200 plus episodes, which is why I invited our guests on today. I'd like to start with you, uh, Lucy, uh, if I could. Um, I know you've just been there. We just discussed it. But I also know that Norway has been one of your kind of bucket list destinations for many years. Why, why do you think it, you know, with all the different places you could ski, Norway's kind of right up there? I don't know. Um, I don't, when I realised I've said that quite a few times, I just think with Norway, it does feel totally different to the Alps. It feel felt like we were going to somewhere that we didn't know much about 
that was quite unvisited by other British skiers, somewhere with a little bit more of a sense of adventure. And that was kind of why I've always wanted to go there. And then when you look at the pictures and the landscape, it just looks otherworldly. So just the opportunity to go and see whether it lived up to all that height was something I was really keen to do. So on this particular trip then, Lucy, you went to a resort that I had never uh, heard of before called Gouster. And I wondered if you could just like give us an idea of, well, firstly, where that is and how you got there. Okay, so Gouster is about, it's roughly around 100 miles west out of Oslo. So it's in the Telemark region of Norway. Um, And that is a region that not many other of the major mainstream Norwegian resorts that you would have heard of are. Uh, And the reason to go there, and not one of the other names that many people have written about before, is this winter um, British operator Ski Safari became the first to exclusively run packages to the resort. I think that's going to grow in the next few years. They won't be alone come next winter. I think Crystal are jumping on board. Um, They've really seen the value in it. Um, But that was the main reason. That's what got my attention to that particular area. Um, And then once we were there, it was an absolutely fascinating place. We flew into Oslo. So from Manchester, it was just under two hour flight. Uh, And then we took the train straight from Oslo station, which was so easy. Uh, the, the, The platforms are literally in the arrivals hall out to Kongsberg which took around an hour and a half and then we got picked up in a car car transfer to carry on the rest of the journey. The resort itself then, it's the first time that it's been featured for the UK market. What kind of resort is it? How many lifts, piece, what type of skiers is it suitable for? So I think the ski area spans around 45 kilometres um, and that's supplemented by, I think it's nearly 100 kilometres of cross-country tracks. Um, but yeah, the main focus for us was traditional piece skiing. So 45 kilometres, um, roughly around 30 pieces, I think, that 18 lifts so it's it's not big we'll put it that way whatever the stats are it's not huge it's very modest but there was a real um a real variety I was worried we were going to go and they were all going to be beginner slopes greens and blues but there were some really great black runs that no one was on uh, really well maintained hugely wide red runs and this was the thing there was no one there. We had the entire place to ourselves. So it didn't matter that there was only 45 kilometres because we could just lap the place, find the runs that we liked, nipping and out the trees. It really didn't feel small. We were there for five days, but skied for three and did not get bored. And the other perk of Gouster, which really appeals to the more adventurous skier, is the mountain that overlooks the resort is called Gouster Toppen. And skiers have the opportunity to go to the top of this mountain uh, and ski down uh, ski down it. They're all ungroomed runs, so it's all classed as off-piste, what we would call it in the Alps, but they are waymarked. Well, the one we did is waymarked, and in good conditions, it would be suitable for a, a confident intermediate. So that really added a, bit of, added a bit of variety to the trip. Yeah, I think maybe um, you know, people would understand that in terms of perhaps you call it an itinerary run or something like that. I did read about Gouster Toppen <laughs> beforehand yeah. because it, it has a, a kind of historical aspect to it with links to the Second World War. Is that right? 
So the entire area has some really interesting history. And I should probably say at this point, not sure when the episode's coming out, Ian, but my story about Gouster is in the newspaper this coming Saturday. Um, so that would be, get my dates right, that would be Saturday the 17th. We're recording today on Thursday the 15th. I'll publish it tomorrow on Friday the 16th. So therefore, listener, you're probably listening to it on Friday. Get out to the shop on Saturday and you can buy the article. <laughs> yeah, you really should because the history, it's the first time I've been to a resort and I've been really captivated by that side of things. So Gouster Toppen was actually used by NATO um, throughout the Cold War. Uh, as a radio tower, a radio room to intercept communications and transmit messages between the Allies. They built inside the mountain this funicular railway. And a lot of us and the listeners um, listening will be familiar with funiculars like in teen. This one is tiny. It was used by the agents to get into the depth of the mountain and then straight up. It goes upwards uh, around, I think it's 40 degrees straight through to the top of the mountain where they lived in solitude and top secret. Anyway, now NATO dis- decommissioned the facility and skiers can now access. It's all exactly the same. They've made the top a bit fancier. There's a lovely little cafe. You can get to the top of the mountain the exact same way and ski down. It was just really unique. And I think it cost £15 for a trip on the funicular. And I, I, I was with my husband on the trip and you go through the original steel doors that are all marked top secret. And you think, where on earth are we going? And you come out on the top and you can see the views from the top are um, encompass around a sixth of Norway. And we did it late in the afternoon. The sun was coming down. It was one of those ski experiences that you think, wow, this was really worth it. Okay. And did you did you ski down or, or take the funicular down? Did you You have the option to take the funicular down? A lot of people just do that. We took the um they call it the beginner rundown, but it was the snow wasn't on that day, it had been really windy. So the snow wasn't in tip top condition. It was quite windblown on the top. But we managed to make our way down. They had um waymarked posts all the way down, and it was a nice little challenging off piece run, really. And I did call up the piece map and I had a look at it. And it and it looks like we're not talking about a ski resort, you know, people might think, oh, Norway, they're all above fjords. It's not kind of above a fjord, but it's a kind of that the piece and the lifts are kind of spread around a lake which is kind of in the in the center of the ski area is that how how it works exactly so in the center in the bowl of the valley are all the cabins a lot of them are privately owned or they're owned by the resort and able to be rented for guests uh, and then the, the the sides span up and that's where you kind of get your piece and it, it locks down there isn't a fjord um around there the closest town uh, which is about a 15 minute drive away is called Rukan and I could go on about Rukan on its own for its fascinating history. It's mentioned in the article again, but if any listeners have watched the film Heroes of Telemark and are familiar with the um, Operation Gunnerside from the Second World War, this is the location of that. So just in short, this was the the operation that um, really put detriment to the Nazis um, program to try and make the atomic bomb and we'd watched Oppenheimer the film just before we went and we went to go and see the site of all this and again I'm not a history person and I feel like I'm sounding like a history buff now but it was really fascinating to go to such a really unique place. 
I don't know if this is from Heroes of Telemark. Did I read that the the guy who founded the resort was like a body double for Kirk Douglas or something? <laughs> I don't. I don't know, but there's a lot of there's a lot of memorabilia for Kirk Douglas around around Gowster. The hotel we stayed in, which is the main uh, base, really the main hotel base. Um, their their bar is called Kirk's Bar, and that's where they stayed when they filmed the thing. It's a bizarre place with that you think, where is this? And Rick's not not nodding his head at this. The other odd fact. The town doesn't get sunshine between September and March. And the reason it's ever been in global news is they have a thing called a sun mirror. Stay with me here. A sun mirror at the top of the mountain that reflects a little square of sunshine into the village, into the town square. So if anyone who lives in Rukan wants sunshine, they go and stand in this area. Uh, I'm not sure if you uh, if you found out about this, Lucy, as well, but uh, in, in Rukan they have a massive party the day that the sunlight first hits the bottom of the valley in the town because <laughs> obviously they haven't seen it for six months so everyone everyone goes out has a big party some sunlight finally hits the valley floor right i mean i thought moutier was meant to be a dark place where they don't get uh, very much light i don't know about you but i've been watching true detective night country mm. at the moment which is set in alaska where it's uh, dark the whole time uh, that is really interesting uh, lucy and guessing one of the uh, appeals there is you're saying like actually get to resort you fly into oslo it's not taking very long to actually get there as well so this is a big advantage yeah i mean it, it it's about three and a half hours in total to get there but just breaking it up by train and ski safari are offering packages that include the train um really just felt a bit different it added to that sense of adventure just a nice smoother way to travel into the mountains and then when you get there that relaxed atmosphere continues and I don't know if this is a thing across Norway because I've not been to any of the resorts the atmosphere and the general approach to skiing was a lot more laid back. I remember on the first morning when we woke up in typical British skier fashion, we were up and we were at the breakfast bar for 8am, all ready to go by like quarter to nine. And I went to the reception desk and I was like, oh, what time do the lifts open? Because the lifts are literally just outside the hotel and slide across the car park. Like, oh, they don't open till 10 And everyone was just so relaxed. But the thing was, they then stayed open until about, I think it was about half past eight, nine o'clock for the night skiing. So, yeah, we were a bit taken aback, like, oh, we can just slow down and have another coffee then. I mean, I'm not a first lift kind of person unless it's exceptional conditions and uh, my kids would love the idea. (laughs) You know, yeah. You can you can take it a, a, a bit later before you start skiing. But that's brilliant, uh, Lucy. I'll put a bunch of links into the show notes. And listener, if you'd like to find out more about uh, Gouster, don't forget by The Telegraph tomorrow uh, being uh, Saturday in respect of this. Or if you're listening to it a bit late, then what you should have done is subscribe so you get the podcast into your inbox early doors. Right, we're going to move on to Rich now. Now, Rich, you're um, a bit further north in uh, Norway in Sunmore. I wondered, you know, you, I know a little bit about your backstory, but I wondered if you could just tell us how your relationship with Norway started. Yeah, it's probably been a, um, I think, 25-year relationship, to be honest, with Norway. I, I was very lucky, age 16, I had a, an amazing teacher at school who um, decided to organise an adventure to the Hardangavida, which is actually just north of Roikan, which is where Lucy was talking about earlier on. And I skied a hut-to-hut expedition on cross-country skis so they have an amazing hut system in Norway called DNT 
Denuska Tourisperini. And it's, um, you pay about £25 for the year and you get a key. And with this key, you can access any of the winter huts or summer huts for that matter um, in, a, in a network across the country. Uh, and you turn up at these huts, you never know what you're going to get. It could be no one's been there for six weeks and everything's frozen solid. Uh, and you have to get your fire going and thaw everything out. Uh, or there could be a bunch of other Norwegian skiers who've, who've already been there for a couple of days. But you can actually plan routes across these huts and do some amazing adventures, you know, if you if you plan it the right way. So I, I was lucky to do that when I was sort of 16, 17. And following that, just completely fell in love with the country and also just the way that the Norwegians do things. Uh, they love the outdoors. It's a very kind of simple life. You know, when you turn up at these huts, for example, you just leave money behind. You know, you, you don't prepay or anything. There's no one there. It's all on an honesty-based system. You know, everyone's, everyone leaves their things out in the open here. It's, 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 it's sort of what I imagine life used to be like perhaps 50, 60 years ago. So fast forward to today, um, you know, eventually started bringing the family out here. And then a couple of years ago, decided that we actually wanted to have a go at building a place. About 18 months ago, bought a plot of land where I am now in, in Fjellsetra, which is a, a small family ski resort, uh, very Norwegian. You definitely know package tours here. And, um, we started building a cabin and there are cabin building companies across Norway. Um, Norwegians and cabin ownership is, is a very common thing. Most families seem to have a cabin. Um, and we built it from scratch and, you know, now we're out here whenever we possibly can, either skiing in the winter or hiking in the summer. So, so just track back a bit. I get that relationship with Norway, obviously lots of ski touring there. It sounds fantastic. It's a big difference between moving from that to deciding to buy somewhere. I think when did, when were you over there, when you were inspired to kind of consider that, what, what sort of time was that? First of all, Maybe just a little bit about the the Sunmore Alp area where we're at, and then um, I'll explain kind of how I got to the, the decision. So, I first came out to this the Sunmore Alps in I think it was about 2016 uh, with a friend, and we we went with a guiding company called Uta Guiden, brilliant local guiding company uh, for ski touring, and that's something that I've been doing sort of every year since. And the area is really unique in the sense that it's alpine, so you know, truly dramatic, steep mountains with really good vertical, but they drop down into the fjords. So you can literally, on a good day, you know, skin up from a beach to a mountaintop and then ski all the way back down. And you, you can even do boats trips where you can get a boat to certain ski tours. So it's a little bit like the Lingen Alps, which are probably more famous right up in the Arctic Circle very similar terrain but you don't you don't get the extremity of weather uh, but you do also get a tremendous snowfall here because it's in an it's in a maritime area which picks up a lot of moisture dumps a lot of snow but tends to be just that little bit more temperate uh, as a result of that so just to make sure we understand what we're talking about so you know lucy was quite near oslo that's right in the uh, south of the uh, country now this is much further north as you say not i mean norway goes a very very long way north but where would you be flying to uh, if you wanted to get there how how would you get there so our local airport is called arlesund um which is um a small port on the west coast uh north of bergen uh, if you can picture where Bergen is, it's probably about an hour, well, 45 minutes flight north of Bergen. 
Uh, a lot of the cruise ships stop off in Olsen, so it's quite famous for that. Um, but you have to go through either uh, Oslo, Copenhagen, or Amsterdam. So it's a connecting flight. Uh, you could take the train. That would be a that would be a reasonable train ride, probably five or six hours from Oslo. Um, but more commonly, there are I think there's something like four or five flights a day that go from Oslo. Right, and then you, I I have the advantage list of having a map in front of me, so it's a lot easier for me. But I can see so over on the on the western coast of uh, Norway, you know, about a third to half of the way uh, up, and I can see that it sits right above the fjords, and that must be amazing to kind of start off at what literally sea level. The mountains there in Norway, they're not as high as people might imagine in the Alps. What are the kind of higher peaks around there? You're absolutely right. Then in terms of altitude, not a lot. I mean, some probably the highest in this range is uh, is about 2000 meters. So you're really not going up very high. And if you're, if you're ski touring, you, you literally are starting at, you know, either sea level or maybe a few hundred meters, you know, at most, but you're still doing a thousand meters potentially of, of climbing. But obviously you get up to a certain height and you are looking down on the fjords in multiple different directions. So it's, it's a really unique terrain for skiing and to think ultimately you're, you're looking down at what is effectively ocean down there fantastic and so you you know you've done a whole bunch of ski touring uh, in that area you'd explored the area a bit i think that at the time your decision came around to buy some land you were uh, celebrating a special occasion <laughs> i was yeah we, i was out with um, my wife louise uh, actually for a summer trip and so we'd gone out for our 10th uh, wedding anniversary and we were staying in uh, there's some glass cabins you know about half an hour south of here called the Kilsty hut cabins and you look them up they're absolutely incredible so literally glass 100% of the way around these cabins um, incredible views and uh, I was sort of secretly hoping that my wife Louise would fall in love with this area in the same way that I'd fallen in love Thankfully, within about 24 hours, she had. <laughs> yeah, we just suddenly started asking ourselves, what if? Um, which then led very quickly to looking at, you know, how, how do you buy land here? You know, how do you build a cabin? How do you get permission? And we just sort of stumbled across this this area where we saw some land for sale and, and found some very friendly locals who very quickly told us how to do it. And I have to say, from start to scratch, we did it in just over a year so it was it was actually a great process that sounds pretty amazing so you've built your own property there can you tell us a little bit about it it's built by one of the norwegian cabin building companies and what happens is you you effectively there's a whole load of different designs that you can choose from um and we wanted something with four bedrooms because we wanted to come out here with other families and you you know you select the the wood and the dimensions and whether you want a sauna and all these kind of things and it's a little bit like uh you know a lego kit you sort of decide which pieces you want to to patch together um and so ours you know it's got a big sort of glass front overlooking the mountains and the lake um but it's also you know relatively simple it's not it's not enormous it does everything you need it to do and uh, you say sauna surely a sauna is a uh, compulsory in the scandinavian nations it is compulsory, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Our, our family tradition is uh, get a, have a sauna after skiing, and then you uh, you do the snow roll, which is um, jumping outside, have a quick roll in the in the snow, uh, and then come back in for a shower, which is a lot of fun. That sounds a little bit more um, en- en- enticing than our experience of sauna. 
so at Gouster, they have floating saunas and you are supposed to jump in the frozen lake afterwards. Mm. I, I think I managed to get up to like my shoulders and then was straight back out. I think I would have preferred a snow roll, I think, than jumping in the in the frozen lake. But yeah, I think sauna is mandatory, Ian, in Norway. Uh, I mean, I have done that kind of snow roll to a certain degree. Um, listener, you might have been to Outdoors, so they've got an outdoor pool there and you can hop out and get in the snow. And it's actually the same thing in St. Anton as well, where they've got an outdoor pool there and you can get in the snow. But slightly, slightly different. But it sounds fantastic, this property. And so you're based there now. You're on a family holiday and I know that you're renting it out. And I'll put a link into the show notes uh, for that. You're skiing on which ski area? Yeah, so there, there are two areas that we normally ski in. Uh, there's our local resort, which is called Fjellsetra. Really good family resort. Um, they do night skiing as well, as, as Lucy mentioned. Uh, you probably wouldn't go here for a whole week. I don't think that's enough, unless you're into ski touring, in which case, you know, the world's your oyster. There's so much in this in this valley. And then there's a larger resort called Stranda. Uh, and Stranda is the biggest resort in sort of West Norway. And it's it's well known for being some of the best free riding in Norway, actually. So if you if you look at the website, you'll see some of the terrain. But it's um, it's all at a an incline that is relatively safe, so you can pretty much kind of go most places off piste without any risk. There's no huge cliffs or anything like that. So the kids are quite happy bombing around off piste and finding their way through trees. Um, all pretty safe, but also really well sort of organised. You know, it's. Uh, as Lucy said, opens at 10 o'clock in the morning, fast, efficient lifts, you know, good cafes, all the rest of it. So it's, I, I have a feeling it's a bit of a, a bit of a hidden gem, actually, in the sense that the Norwegians all know about it. It gets a great snowfall every year. Um, I have a feeling it's a place that, as we see, obviously, the snow line starts to retreat further north in the hemisphere. Norway's only going to get more popular. And I think places like Stranda will inevitably grow with that, I think. I mean, that is a really interesting point because, you know, I noticed this week there's heavy snowfall in Norway and there has been some snow in the Alps, but less. I think possibly something that people often have a preconception about Norway is that it's super expensive there. Lucy, I wondered if I could ask you, you know, you've been to lots of different countries and resorts. How did you find kind of prices on the ground, so to speak? Yeah, so that was definitely one of the things that people were insistent on telling me before we went. They were like, oh, good luck in buying a beer or going to Apre. It costs a fortune. And yeah, I can't lie. It, it is more expensive. Apre is quiet. Let's begin with that. There is none of the big dancing on tables Apre where you'd be ordering five pints or whatever like it's very muted very relaxed but um at the bottom of the slopes at gauster so the equivalent to a skiing at prey bar there is a lovely little bar there and for a pint of beer and quite a large aperol spritz i think it cost around 17 18 pounds when i converted it but when i then looked back at for example, some of the slopeside restaurants in Val d'Isère, Verbier, Courchevel, for a cocktail and a beer at a slopeside like bar, you're not that far off. So, yeah, it felt expensive for the size of the resort, but if you were to compare it to other parts of the Alps, it's not hugely blowing the budget and the quality the, the one thing I did want to say, like the service, the service quality was really, really impressive. But yes, it did feel a bit expensive on the ground. That's interesting. And I think a, a point maybe that you made, uh, Rich, was about 
the Norwegians themselves and how welcoming they are. Do you, have you, you obviously spent a lot of time there. Have you got any insights to give us in that respect? Yeah, the Norwegians are just an incredibly friendly, helpful, open people, really. I think because they're such a small population, but it's obviously inherently quite a wealthy population. You know, they've got the Sovereign Wealth Fund. Life is good. You know, no one, no one certainly seems to work particularly long hours. It's all about you know, do your ten till four and then you're out doing whatever you want to do. They love the outdoors. You know, it's it's absolutely in their DNA. You know, people are climbing, hiking, kayaking, skiing. And so when you're outdoors and you bump into people, whether that's ski touring or hiking, you'll always stop and you'll have a chat. And it's a very sort of just open, friendly, warm population. We we found as well building our cabin here the Norwegians were quite intrigued by the fact that a British family might build a place in the middle of Norway. And as a result of that, they've been incredibly helpful. You know, our neighbours down the roads, you know, they've helped us numerous times when we've been in a bit of a pickle about various situations. And yeah, just, just a really lovely people. I mean, it's interesting you talk about the Norwegians as being, you know, very focused on the outdoors. I've just written a piece about the first ever Winter Olympics in uh, Chamonix in 1924, when Norway topped the medal table. And we see like 100 years later, or, you know, 98 in Beijing, they topped the medal table again. They're way outperforming. Uh, Lucy, did you want to uh, chip in something? Yeah, it was just on that point of um, Norwegians being intrigued by there being British visitors. I think that's a really good point. We felt extremely welcome. Like they were excited to have the opportunity to have British holidaymakers there. And sometimes like the Alps are obviously a really great place to spend a lot of time there, but there can be a lot of a lot of news and a lot of reports of people feeling less welcome or you don't get a lifty smiling at you, recognising you in the morning, which is what we had in Norway, in some of the major resorts in the Alps at the end of January when things are getting busy. And the intrigue, it just really made me laugh whilst we were there. A local journalist wanted to speak to us because they were that fascinated about the idea of British holidaymakers coming to Gouster. They're really excited about it. And I feel like it's maybe they're at they're at the time where resorts in the Alps were maybe 20 years ago especially these smaller resorts. Some of the bigger ones are established and that's fine, but these smaller areas are maybe a couple of decades behind and are really invested and are really excited to see British people on their slopes. Oh, well, I mean, that sounds like a brilliant way to finish off. Hopefully giving you an insight into a bit of Norway and obviously there's many, many other, uh, you know, resorts and areas we could cover, but that will help a bit. And I'll put a lot of links into the uh, show notes. So we're going to move towards the close now. I enjoy all feedback about the show. like to know what you think, especially about features like this. So please contact me on social at Ski Podcast or by email theskipodcast at gmail.com. Had some feedback since our last episode. Andrew Petch said, great pod. He was talking about the Dave Riding interview. That was episode 199. Miranda Walsh, another cracking episode. Thank you. Mr. Riding is a legend. Matthew uh, via Twitter said, loving your work. Just wondering if you've ever done a pod on helmet headphones. I'm going to go in on the Carve device, which I mentioned a few times before. So think about the audio element too. Uh, and that is a really good question because if you use a car, it can give you this instantaneous feedback via audio. Most people 
would maybe stick in headphones. I actually just had it in my pocket with the uh, volume on loud. But what I will do is I'll bring that up with Al, our equipment expert, next time he joins me on the show. And listener, just on equipment, uh, just a reminder, if you are interested in a kit, then we made, Al and I, five equipment specials back in December and January. And you can uh, uh, find out lots about them there. I found it incredibly informative uh, and learnt loads. Now, if you like the podcast, there are three things you can do to help. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and that helps other people find us. You can subscribe. Uh, that means every episode will automatically be downloaded for you, so you can catch up at your leisure. And you can book your ski hire within Sport Rent using the code Ski Podcast or taking the link in the show notes. It's actually also possible to buy me a coffee if you want to at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. And Helen did that. I'd like to say thank you to her. And she said, uh, thank you. I've been listening to all the previous episodes and love it. That, that's interesting because there are 206 episodes available now. And 180 of them were listened to in the last week. So that's probably due to Helen going back through all the uh, back catalogue. But I'd like to thank all of our listeners. You might be interested to know that Ski Podcast is usually in the top 10 in the Apple Podcast chart in our category. Uh, It ranks in the top 1% of podcasts worldwide. 53% of our listeners are in the UK. So 47% around the rest of the world. And I had a little look. In the last seven days, we've got listeners in Colombia, India, Kenya, and Malaysia. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, listener, thank you for giving us uh, your time there is so much to listen to in the back catalogue just go to theskipodcast.com search around the tags and categories you're bound to find something of interest to you and you can follow me at skipedia and the podcast at ski podcast but for now i'd like to thank InSport for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today lucy thank you very much thanks for having me again ian it's a pleasure and rich thank you for joining us from norway thanks for having me Ian. and finally listener thank you for joining us and until next time goodbye